Aegean. We're in a church. Chanting the Psalms, man. Well, Sun Valley, we're talking about chants and Gregorian <laughs> chants. Just press record <laughs> mid-conversation. Um, we'll leave that for a different day uh, for podcasting um, because people are wondering why you're talking about chanting in church. Now I want to know what the difference... Um, what is the difference between... What is a Gregorian chant? I'm asking my phone. It's obvious. It's obvious. Central tradition of Western plain chant, a form of monophonic, unaccompanied. Yeah, what makes it Gregorian, though? I mean, that's what I want to know. It's in Latin. I've got a couple albums. Well, I mean, I know you and I, you know, we tend to listen to those Gregorian chants when we're, you know, hanging out. Okay. So never. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe at the gym. Yeah. Working out to Gregorian chants. <laughs> That'll get your blood pumping. <laughs> <laughs> That's, why. That's why my biceps are so huge. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm sure I'm sure Dennis will talk about Gregorian chants in in his. Um, I hope he'll do some Sunday seminar. I hope he'll do some on church history. Gregorian chants; those are um, those are good. Anyways, Rick is here in the podcasting room with myself, Jeremy. He's still looking up chanting in the church, um, but we will. I think we're going to talk about that. I think popular in. in Popular tradition is that Pope Gregory started the Gregorian chant, hence oh. the Gregory. But pope Wikipedia Gregory. doesn't think that that's probably what happened. Pope Gregory was he a good pope or bad pope? Um, he was poping. He was poping. You know, I'd be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Please recover. Uh, uh, anyway, talking about chants. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's always a good day when I can get Rick to laugh like that. It's good like to that. see you. It's good to see you too, man. Um, well, today on the podcast, we're not talking about chanting, no, although we, we just not. spent uh, two, almost three minutes talking about it. Um, I'd like we, to do a, se- a seminar on it, chanting the Psalms, or yeah. singing the Psalms in a in a chant. It's actually, I just learned this recently, and I'm really excited about it. <clears throat> so, so it's, I told my you, kids you, last night, because we were, we were singing... Um, Psalm three before bed, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> I taught him how to do that. I learned recently, and it's a it's a really rich tradition. But you know, if I said kids for thirty, it took me thirty seven years to begin to actually sing the psalms, and now you guys are like eight, nine, and eleven. And I hope this will be part of your life, yeah. Because that's something that that I mean, it's there for us, right? right. This is our songbook given by God. Right, and singing it is is something pretty cool. Yeah, and that's really, anyways. But yeah, that'll be. I'm, I hope we'll get into that at some point. Yeah, but but not today. Not today. Not today. Not today. Not today. <laughs> no, we are. Be no fire. We're. <laughs> 
uh, if we can control ourselves, we're going to be talking about the omniscience of God. Oh, now, originally, originally we were going to talk about the eternality, the eternality of, God of God today. But we will we'll still do that at some point. We're postponing it till next, next week. week. John really wants to be a part of that podcast to talk about the eternality of God mm. with Pastor Rick. Wow. Um, so, Lord willing, these two men will be in the podcasting room next week to talk about the eternality of God. Um, but today, we're diving into the omniscience of God. That's good. So, uh, Rick, just basic response. When we say God is omniscient, what is what is like the ground level meaning of, of that? He knows everything. He knows everything. He knows everything. He, he is all-knowing. He's all-knowing. So you've got these omni attributes mm-hmm. or these perfections of God that, you know, with omniscience, he's all-knowing, omnipotent, he's all-powerful. Um, omnipresent, he's everywhere, um, immediately. And so, um, but a a more technical definition, which is not hard, I'll just, and I just took this one, I looked at some, how some various theologians define it, and I like what, you know, Wayne Grudem says in his theology, that God fully knows himself, all things actual and possible, in one simple eternal act. So God fully knows himself, and all things in one simple eternal act, meaning there's there for eternity because God is unchanging. Mm-hmm. He knows all things immediately in Himself. It's not something He has to work at. He doesn't. You know, we sit here and go, "Hey, let's think about chanting for a minute." Mm-hmm. You know, we have to rec- You know, we have to then orient our minds around something. You know, all things are immediately known by God eternally. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is mind-blowing. It's more than we can know. Well, yeah. And comprehend. Infinitely Infinitely more. I love throwing that word out there, infinitely so. He Uh, knows himself. I was thinking about, um, so 1 Corinthians 2, uh, beginning in verse 10, it says that God has revealed... um, Okay, I'll go to verse 9. As it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Hmm. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So God knows himself Hmm. fully. Hmm immediately because he is he is the one simple as we looked at that first week um undivided perfect holy god Hmm. yeah so this is this is one of those attributes that people really struggle with when it comes to um you know salvation when it comes to Another one is is evil. You know, if God mm. is all knowing, right. then you know, if He knew the Holocaust was going to happen, then why did He allow that to happen? You know, things like that. Right. So, it, people people really struggle with this attribute, and one of those one of those struggles is uh, the idea of free will. So, if God is all knowing and He knows He knows everybody who's going to be saved um, from you know, the beginning of time to the end of, end of time, you know, is there a thing actually as free will? Okay. So how do we help somebody who is struggling with this idea of, you know, God knowing the beginning and the end, who's going to be in heaven with him? 
um, you know, f- for all, for all eternity, you know, that that's, people struggle with that. How do you, how do you yeah. help somebody with that? Yeah. So what do you, well, I guess let's just get to the level of actually saying, what do we mean by free will? So someone who's struggling with free will, what do we mean by that? Usually when we talk about that, it's, it's somebody who says, I chose, you know, God, I chose to follow him. It was my choice to do that. Or another option is, um, you know, I chose to eat an apple today. Yeah. You know, I actually did that. I did choose to eat an apple today. You did. I eat apples after coffee. For those who don't know, coffee um, can stain your teeth, but apples clean your teeth. Oh. Yeah. That's why oftentimes I'll eat an apple after I have coffee. I noticed that, actually. It's, It's wonderful. It's a wonderful feeling. And I chose to do it. Yes. But having chosen to do it, the question I have for myself now that I'm feeling quite self-reflective, <laughs> is, does that mean that that choice was totally free? Because mm. I don't doubt that I chose to do it because I was there for that choice. Right. But does that mean it was a totally free choice? And does the fact that I chose it mean that it needs to have been a totally free choice? Mm-hmm. At which point I have now become the podcast interviewer. And now I'm wondering, Jer, was I totally free in that choice? Um, no. How can you say that? How do you have the nerve to show up here, look me in the face, and say that to me? Oh. And what do you mean, no? It's just got uncomfortable. (laughs) I think you're right, though. Um, Well, no, because God's all-knowing. And it's more than that, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Not only does he know all things, but he he decrees all things. And see, here we're getting into other perfections of God. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's see, I was in Hebrews 4, but I'm going to go to Isaiah 46 for just a moment as we're teasing this out. When we say God decrees all things, um, I think it's, well, let's see. Here we go, Isaiah 46, verse 9. Uh, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And this is just one of many places that declare that truth. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, another one. He does all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1, 11. Um, Isaiah 42, 8 through 9. The point is that God not only knows all things, but he has declared all things. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just that he knows what we are going to choose to do. Um, there is only one possible course of world history down to the atomic level and the subatomic level. There is nothing random. There's nothing left to chance. Um, I'm going to quote part of the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Here, actually, a couple parts of it. Um, in, in chapter two, this, and this is, this is one of the great reformed confessions of faith. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is, this is a good summary of some really good theology. And as it's talking about the perfections of God, it says that in his sight, this is chapter two, paragraph two, in his sight, all things are open and manifest, meaning he sees all things. He knows everything perfectly. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, 
and independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. And what that's saying is that God's knowledge is a perfect knowledge of all that is because he has declared all that is and will be. Um, the free will question comes in, like which is, is what we're discussing. And um, in the next chapter, uh, and this is also dealt with in the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 3 as well, um, the first thing it says of God's decree is, is that God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by his most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeable, mm-hmm. unchangeably. So when we're talking about free will, when it comes to God, there is free will, mm-hmm. okay? It is unconstrained by anything. There's no outside force can, um, putting boundaries on it. God's will is truly free. Mm-hmm. So he has declared all things whatsoever comes to pass, yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Need we say more? <laughs> well, probably, because that it's not at all terribly clear on the surface yeah because <laughs> it was written in 1689 yeah, but no you we, sound you sound very smart when you talk that way all i did was read somebody else's words <laughs> which is when i sound the smartest no um so when it comes to free will god has it there, which means there's mm-hmm. no boundaries on it mm-hmm. when it comes to our will uh, and this is really what you know as those who are children of the reformation we stand on the shoulders of giants um in declaring what they recognized from scripture was that there isn't, we don't have free will in that sense. Mm -hmm. You know, that's more of a a modern myth. Mm. Um, It's as if it were all or nothing. It's like either my choices are completely free and I can do whatever I want. Otherwise I'm not actually making real choices. And that's just not true. Right. So like there's a, there's like, there's a couple ways that we could get out of this room right now. What are they? Uh, well, uh, for me, it's the door. Right. We can go through the door. Um, what are you, what are the other ways for you? I don't know. I'm looking around. I'm going. Hey, we could we could try to break through some drywall okay. and get out okay. that way. Okay. Um, but what we don't have the option of doing is we can't fly out. Yes. Why? Is we can't fly. Right. That's something that we're constrained by the laws of physics. Yeah. Right. Gravity and, and human nature doesn't have flying involved in it. It's not in our nature to be able to do that. Does right. that mean that therefore the choice that we make to go through the door or get fired by, you know, busting through the, the drywall because it just seemed fun at the time, mm-hmm. um, that that's not a real choice? Mm. What? I, I said, hmm. 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 Oh, I thought you said no. <laughs> no, of course not. It's, we, we make real choices all the time. Yeah. Just because we can't make any choice we want doesn't mean that the choices we make aren't real. Yeah. And when it comes to God's knowing all things, having decreed all things, um, the faithful historic confessions of our faith are immediately um, insistent upon the fact that, no, we do make real choices. And this is how it works. There's a doctrine called concurrence that actually describes this. Mm-hmm. Um, our decisions are real, and they work together within the nature of how human decisions work, which is God's sovereign decree. Mm. Um, 
And the key phrase I want to draw out from what I read in the London Confession was that, so that the will of the creature is not violated. We, uh, God, in decreeing all things, in knowing all things, um, he, he decrees in such a way that our will is not violated, which means um, nobody runs away from God and rejects the free offer of Christ um, who was who otherwise would have gone, oh, I really wanted to believe in Jesus and follow him and repent of my sins, but God wouldn't let me. He didn't decree it. I was re- It's like I wanted to do that, mm-hmm. but God violated that desire in my heart mm-hmm. by decreeing that I wouldn't. That that never happens. A hundred percent of those who are left in their sins wanted to be. Yeah. And so would you, and so would I, if not for the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, the only one who whose desires got overruled are the redeemed. Right. Because it wasn't in our nature to want to chase after God. Right. Which is why in John six forty four, Jesus says, "No one comes to the Father except that he he be drawn by the Father," and that literally carries the connotation of being dragged, uh, and and carried along. Hmm. And then we got a new heart, and a new spirit put within us when we were born again, and now our desires changed, and now our desire is in sync with the will of God. Right, right. But yeah, so how do we how do we help? a friend who's really upset that God's exhaustive knowledge of all things and decree doesn't jive with their understanding of free will. Well, I think we help help them gently to see that we're really not, we don't have free will in the sense that we can just do anything we want. Sure. Everybody lives within boundaries. Sure. No creature except, no, no creature at all has free will in that sense. Right. But God never never violates our real choices. Yeah. And that's just part of the mystery that we have to put over this whole thing. Right. Right. Boy, I hope that made sense. Yeah, These are deep. You, I mean, they're deep waters, right? I yeah. Mean, we're, we're getting into the heart of what has been debated for 2000 years mm-hmm. of church history mm-hmm. and longer. Actually, um, the Pharisees very much took a, a similar view of the will of God and the decree of God and, you know, this was being debated before the church right. formally began at Pentecost. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but it's necessary, right? It's it's necessary to to dive into these waters. Yes. <clears throat> the implications of um, who God is and the nature of reality, if he doesn't know all things, if he hasn't decreed all things, it actually, it it, it will impact us at the level of inducing depression mm-hmm. and that's a very real thing that a lot of people can understand yeah it, it 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 impacts whether or not we wake up today with hope yeah whether or not um you know somebody i just counseled who who has a family member who shows no indication of knowing christ after a long time of knowing the gospel um whether or not they think that their prayers matter hmm. or that there's a future hope for that hmm. person to be with, with Christ. It's like this, no, this is pretty darn practical. Right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, Rick, has there ever been a time in which God has not known something? If he's all knowing, 
is there a point in which he hasn't known something? <laughs> I wish I, this is when I wish we had a video podcast so that people could see the way that you just physically framed that question with your arms. Because I almost want you to ask it again. That's good. I could. Were those your pre pre gym stretches? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a lot of hand gesturing in that. Question. I appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, is, is there... Can, let me ask you a question. I don't like I don't like when you, you when you come back with questions because I send you questions beforehand this is a and then you come back live with real questions. This is a conversation. Questions. Conversation is two ways, Pastor Jeremy. <sighs> Here's my question. Hey. Can God change? Uh, no. There you go. So because God knows all things and God is immutable, he cannot change... Um, he has never not known all things. Hmm. So many questions just come to my mind. Name one. Like, <laughs> go ahead and say one. What's one of those questions? So my first question is in Luke 2. Oh. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom oh. and knowledge. Epic. That's an epic question. Oh, my word. You totally blindsided me. That is not on our show notes. <sighs> well, we don't have to... An- we could answer that question a different day. No, because I that, want to that answer is, it now is... because it's a beautiful question. It has everything to do with what we're discussing because it Jesus has... is God, he isn't is, he? He is. Yes. Who is all-knowing. Yes. God is all-knowing. God cannot change. God has always known all things. And yet Jesus, God in flesh, grew in wisdom and stature. He said, no one knows that day or the hour except for the mm-hmm. Father. Right, mm-hmm. and yet aren't the Father and the Son one? One yes. eternal, simple God, together with the Holy Spirit, yeah. reigning one God now and forever. Amen. Yes. Yeah. Um, this gets back to the incarnation. This does. Right. So this is. I think this is something we discussed when we were discussing the immutability of God. Um, it was yes. The, the eternal, unchanging God, the second person of the Trinity, became human, took on to himself a human nature, which was the only thing, not that changed because God can't change, but this was something new. Mm -hmm. Um, It took place in time, in redemptive history, that the eternal, unchanging Son of God took to himself a human nature, which was not, it didn't mix with the divine nature and create some new super God-man nature. No, a fully human nature and the fully divine nature. And this is where um, in the one person of Jesus, in the one person of Jesus, we have two realities united Mm -hmm. perfectly. Um, We have, as it pertains to his divinity, Jesus knowing all things. As it pertains to his humanity, he was growing in wisdom and in stature and in the knowledge, you know, in, yeah. in knowledge yeah. and in favor with God and man because he's human. And yet we don't have a divided Christ as if half of Jesus knew everything because he's God and half of Jesus was growing right. in wisdom and knowledge. We have one perfect son of God who is omniscient and who is growing in knowledge yeah. because he's human. That's that's the mystery of the incarnation. It's amazing. It, it's that's the kind of thing that induces us to worship. Right, right. 
Yeah, and it's a great question. I think you know, Rick, with with this, a lot of it does come back to the incarnation because this is. I think this is where a lot of us struggle with a lot of these attributes of God. Is how can Jesus do this? You know, a lot of these these heresies that we've we've brought up in in previous podcasts, and you know, with the mutability of God. Um, a few weeks ago, like a lot of these are stemming from this, this reality is that if Jesus is fully God, he cannot be this because man cannot do this or, or God cannot do this or whatever. And, and so it seems like a lot of these attributes really, um, people really struggle with in, in relation to the incarnation of Christ, just because of all the implications that come along with his his condescension, um. that's where our Christology we have to we have to dogmatically go back to how does Scripture talk about about Christ, mm-hmm. and that's where the the creeds um, the early creeds that were were really um, they're they're not inspired in the sense that scripture is inspired, right? There's we only have the inspired word of God in the sixty six books, mm-hmm. but these creeds form um, boundaries. If the word is the foundation, then these creeds form boundaries within which we 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 like we can't go outside of them mm. and call our, properly call ourselves Christians. The church very early on was dealing with the most damning and corrupting heresies. It like in its entire history. Mm-hmm. The first few centuries of the church were really dicey. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm personally grateful that we're having this discussion 2,000 years out because yeah. we have a lot of church history. We have a lot of the Holy Spirit faithfully preserving the Word of God and keeping the gospel uncorrupted and actually working through um, the saints mm-hmm. who are wrestling with the scriptures to understand what does this mean. And so we have the... Um, you know, the Chalcedonian definition. Um, we have the right. Athanasian Creed. Right. Sitting here and saying, what does it mean that Jesus is fully God and fully man? How does that pertain to to the two natures in the one person? Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I don't really think we can do better than the way they put it. Yeah. yeah. I think Dennis, I think Dennis is right in that time frame of, of a lot of these, um, you know, these heresies popping up and, yeah. and how the church was dealing with it. So, yep. um, you know, I, I know we recite creeds in this church and, and people can just kind of read through them and um, do it just because we do it. That's just kind of what we do in this sure. church. Mm-hmm. Um, but to actually know what's happening behind the scenes with those creeds that are that are being written um, and, and, and why they're important to this day and why we recite them is, is really helpful. Um, for us as we as we move forward and as we think about Christ and and the implications of all that come along with that. Yeah. Um, Cuz it's easy to just kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, with with these creeds old tradition but really they they have deep like eternal implications yeah. for us. Yeah. Um because I mean when a Jehovah's Witness comes knocking or a Mormon mm-hmm. um it's at the level of Christology that we are going to be either in line with them or in opposition to the false doctrine they teach, even as we, Lord willing, love them mm. <laughs> to try to win their souls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can go on. You can go on the Mormons' website or the the Jehovah's Witnesses' website, and and their statement of faith actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, they do um, it on purpose, and they do it on purpose. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's where our Christology is, is so important mm-hmm. when we think about these things is it sounds really good. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds really good. Yeah. Um, but it has eternal consequences. Yeah. I was just reading about, um, Serenthus last night. He was a first century heretic that, um, denied the, the full deity of Christ. Um, he taught, he was kind of a proto-Gnostic, like he was, he was, peddling his filth before the, the Gnostics really took root. Hmm. Um, proto And he, he, <laughs> well, yeah, he, no, he, so he, um, he taught that because the, the world, you know, material world is like, it's less, like it's, it's corrupt. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it belongs to this gross crude stuff of, you know, down here, God wouldn't, God wouldn't become it. So when Jesus, the really good man, began his ministry, the Holy Spirit descended on him and anointed him and then left him before he went to the cross. And this was such a corrupting heresy. Um, you can really see the Apostle John responding to it. In fact, Serenthus was in Ephesus. And hmm. Paul, and as the story goes, John was walking into the public bathhouse, kind of like you and I got, you know, went to the sun at the Y. The, you know, and, and imagine <laughs> walking into the sun and you see this heretic there. And John goes, um, quick, f- let us flee before the bathhouse comes down upon the heretic Serenthus who is in there. Judgment <laughs> is too, it, you know, it might come upon him. He's that bad. Let's go to the bath another time, you know. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. And so this was like really important stuff. And that's actually how John um, defines the Antichrist, mm. right? Who is the Antichrist but he who denies that Jesus has come in the flesh? Mm. He has denied the Father and the Son. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, that heresy is, is prevalent to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think that's all, of, you know, it's on the fringes of what you're asking. Right. Here. Like, how does Jesus know all things and yet grow in knowledge. Yeah. Well, because he is incarnate. He's the, the incarnate son of God, fully God and fully man. Mm-hmm. As pertains to his human nature, he grew. Mm-hmm. As pertains to his divine nature, he could not grow. Yeah. And yet he's one Christ, our Savior. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Uh, I'm going to quote Mark Jones here uh, to lead into our next question. And I did this last week with Pastor John. Uh, Mark Jones's book, God Is, I think is what it's called. God Is, okay. God Is. He says this, If God is infinite, then so are all his attributes, including his knowledge. There is no limit to what he knows, and there is nothing he needs to learn. He knows all things in and of himself with a perfect knowledge of all things past, present, and future. In knowing himself perfectly, God cannot but help God cannot help but love and delight in himself. Thus he loves his infinite knowledge in the same way he loves his infinite power. His perfect understanding makes him infinitely infinitely blessed. God's self love must be present in terms of the three persons of the Trinity, both loving the divine nature and experiencing mutual love among themselves. Now, when I read that, um, the first thing that comes to mind is God seems pretty arrogant if he is, you know, so full of love for himself. But actually, when you start diving into what was just written by Mark Jones, it has, it has some, you know, 
pretty important implication. So, Rick, why is it necessary that God takes perfect delight in his infinite knowledge? Why is that important? Well, um, well because... Don't ask me a question. <laughs> Just answer the question. Because <laughs> it's perfectly delightful. His infinite knowledge is perfectly delightful. So... Um, so it's it's important that he takes perfect delight in what is perfectly delightful. Otherwise, his um, his affections, if you will, are misaligned. Hmm. Right? Because um, if I'm talking with my kids or myself, and I'm, which I do sometimes, and I talk to myself sometimes, and, and I go, you know, self. Um, you're not desiring God as you know he is worthy of being desired. Mm-hmm. I have a misaligned heart. You know, kids or, you know, whichever one I'm talking to. Did you, how was your time with the Lord? Did you enjoy your time with, with in prayer? Uh, no, not really. That's a misaligned affection. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the war that wages in our hearts is we know what is perfectly true, perfectly good, and perfectly beautiful, perfectly worthy of our adoration, perfectly worthy of our affections. And yet so often the time, our desires, corrupted with brokenness and sin as they are, do not align with what is ultimately worthy Mm. of our affection. Because if things were as they should be, we would just be overflowing with emotional and perfect affirmation of these wonderful perfections of God. God doesn't have that problem. He, his delight always agrees with what is delightful and nothing is more delightful than himself. And so what for a human would, would just be um, diagnosed as narcissism for God. Like it is actually our salvation depends on it because to delight in something more than himself would be idolatry and would disqualify our savior from being perfect in our stead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Michael Reeves. I mean, we've talked about this book uh, a few times on this podcast where, uh, delighting in the Trinity. Yeah. And he makes, he makes this whole point. So the whole book's written on this, this very fact is that God has to delight in himself because if he doesn't, it will result in idol worship mm. of something that's not God. Yeah. 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 No, that's good. So I think what we're seeing like throughout all these podcasts on the perfections of God is is that there's this creature-creator distinction. Uh-huh. That even though God is um, has given us his word, he has come to us in Christ, even though he is near his people. Like he dwe- I just am studying through the Pentateuch this year just very slowly. And the thing like he dwelt among his people right mm-hmm. and now his people um christ comes the tr- you know the true temple to which the temple pointed god in flesh tabernacling with man mm-hmm. and now he has joined us to himself and we are his temple the church right and what does that mean well god is near us we are near him to the point where we are united inseparably with our redeemer mm-hmm. and yet we are not him mm-hmm. and that's where the transcendent holiness of god his matchless perfection it's like really important that we remember that <laughs> like <laughs> cuz there's this like deal. critical way that we're <laughs> not like him and for us what would be a gross evil um 
it's that's not even a possibility for him yeah 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 you know rick we were just talking before we got on the podcast of we can't we cannot talk about the attributes of god you know a single attribute without bringing in the rest of the attributes yeah and that's it gets back to the simplicity of god as we were talking really about the does. first first podcast mm-hmm. we can't just divide these they they all work together <laughs> they're all functioning together yeah, his power is an omniscient power mm-hmm. his holiness is a good holiness mm-hmm. his love is a holy love mm-hmm. a, ju- a wrathful love like it's just there yeah the simplicity of god is so good mm-hmm. yeah it is it's a simple goodness it's <laughs> simply good it's a good simplicity it's simply good yeah. Well, next week, Lord willing, we're going to be talking about uh, God's eternality. We're going it could to be a long podcast. It's going to be long, yes, uh, but a good one, um, I think. A good longness. A good, good long podcast. But it won't be an eternal podcast, will it? Well, we could try. <laughs> we could try. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to tap out after like thirty minutes. Um, we are still in need of questions for the podcast ahead. And I have, if I'm being honest, I have no hope. I have zero that. hope. I have zero. And this is this is more of a rebuke towards the people who are listening. Drop it. We're, Drop the rebuke, man. We're, you are being rebuked right now for mm-hmm. not sending in questions that I know you guys probably have. Like, what does Rick really do at work? That's a question I ask myself. <laughs> <laughs> What does he really do? Um, I know there's I know there's questions out there. It could be personal, if, uh, personal questions for Rick. Um, but send them in. No, don't don't send in your personal questions. No, for no do I mean I don't care. We can we can all turn them to Jeremy. Or else, you know, if you guys don't send the questions, then we're going to be done. basically we're it's chanting. the death of the podcast. We're going to be it's chanting. It's the death of the, the podcast. podcast. We're chanting right before the podcast dies. We're going to, yeah. If you start hearing chanting, that means the podcast has. Domine. Mm. That's from a Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh. <laughs> it's like, wow. And there was you death really... involved in that scene. <laughs> Ew, you're supposed to die. Oh, you don't want to hear us chanting on this podcast. Um,. Send in your questions. We beg you. We implore you. One of us does. I don't care that much. (laughs) (laughs) Church, we love you. Look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.